It's good that we can still get together and read and hear from God's Word. And um, we're reading this morning is from Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, first 20 verses. <clears throat> King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counsellors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counsellors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trogon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And we finish the story there. Now we go to Psalm 3, a Psalm of David, a Psalm when he fled from Absalom his son. <clears throat> O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This morning we're privileged to have David King come and um, lead us in the message. I'd like David to come forward now and uh, I'll introduce him. David, good to see you. Thank you for having me. And um, David's a youth pastor at Casey. He's been there for about three years. He's also still studying at the college at the RTC. He's a youth pastor and his passion is for discipling the young people to uh, go in their walk with the Lord. And uh, it's great to have you with us. And uh, we really pray that God will bless your, bless your message to us this morning. Let me pray. Lord, it's good that we can be together to worship you, to hear from you, to hear your word. We pray that your spirit will be upon David this morning, that he can speak your words, that we can be encouraged in our walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning to everybody who's tuning in today. Here we are again, another snap lockdown in Victoria. And to be honest, it's probably not as hard as it was at the last recent snap lockdown we had. I think many of us are much more emotionally and spiritually prepared um, for what we expect it to happen. And we kind of expect it to, the longevity of this pandemic to continue. So though we can't gather together today in church, I'm very grateful. My wife Kay and I are very I'm grateful to have the opportunity to come and worship with your church today. I was looking forward to come and seeing a lot of old friends here. Um, and though one thing that we can experience is that we know that only God is faithful in this world. For all the guys that I haven't seen since state youth games a couple of years ago, even my hairline didn't stay faithful, and that's all gone as well. We're going to keep that as a, as a reminder as we look at today's passage. We're going to be looking at the faithfulness of God and how... No matter what we experience in this world, we're always reminded that we're only satisfied when we're satisfied in Christ. So as we look at the passage of Daniel 3 as our main text today, we're going to be exploring a few things. We're going to be looking at what is worthy of our worship. I mean, what is the idea of knowing God? What are the things that take our attention? 
What are the things that we put as our first priority in our day? And by examining the, lot, the narrative found in Daniel 3, there's going to be three major points that we'll be examining. The three points are, if you are note-taking, will be what is orthodoxy? The second point is what is idolatry? And the third and final point is what is doxology? These are three terms that are not spoken of commonly, so they will be very, uh, they will be explained throughout the sermon. Words that you probably haven't heard of before, and probably as just reading it makes no sense to you. But these three terms really reflect upon a Christian's life and a Christian's values. And we're going to be looking at this narrative to really explore ourselves and our personal relationship with God. Because especially in times like today, with the pandemic and with all the things happening around the world, we must ask ourselves, what is worthy of my worship? Am I truly satisfied in Christ alone? So thank you once again for having us here. And let's get into digging into this text. Very recently, there was a study done to over a thousand Australians. And the study was done to compare what is the importance of Christianity in your life today. From that study, which you can find online, there was a statistic there that really shook me, especially as I work with the younger generation. In that study, 27% of these thousand thousand Australians said that Christianity or Christ or the church have no relevance in their personal life. That's almost a quarter of these people. Speaking to a younger generation who was growing up in a world full of opportunities, more than the baby boomers before us, the opportunities though have a positive impact, allowing us to be able to travel, explore new employment, or meet new people and see new things. With the positivity of all these opportunities, we see a negative side to it as well. The opportunities of distractions, focusing on self-made goals and personal achievements. Things that may compromise not only our personal values, but maybe even the biblical values in which we're taught in scripture. And that is why 27% would say Christ, church or Christianity has no relevance towards my personal life because why would it relate to me or why, does, why is it necessary to me when I can explore all these other things? The world is an oyster, as they say. It's something rare and we've got to go find our own treasures. Here we have a story of three men. The story before this comes from the Jewish people, the nation of Israel being, cap- being captivated by Babylon, taken to a new nation, given new names, new cultures, new employments, and put into different circumstances. We see that the society and the surroundings rapidly change. And for us as Christians, we also recognize that we as the saints, as the church, we're also aliens to our surrounding. We're aliens to this world. We're called to be different, called out of the darkness into the light. So as Christians, when we step foot into this world around us, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel the same because we're aliens to it. 
But it doesn't mean that we're free from all the distractions. It doesn't mean we're free from all the things that may take our attention. And that is what we seek to explore today and look for encouragement from these three men. In the previous chapter of Daniel 2, you have this story of this king, King Nebuchadnezzar. He's mentioned throughout this text. It's a very long text, very repetitive. But King Nebuchadnezzar, it's interesting that he had this dream that terrified him, right? And in this dream, he sees that he sees this image and he can't understand what this image was. And he, he starts getting fearful and angry and starts asking people, can someone tell me what this dream means? And these three men who were friends of Daniel were able to get the dreams, interpretation and image and explain it to this king. And in chapter 2, verses 47, you hear the king say to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. A king of Babylon declared the Hebrew God, the God of God, the God of gods and the king of kings. But we also see in this chapter, as we read, that he declares that anyone who worships anything else other than his image will be put to death. There's a story that we read to the youth quite often, and it's the story of the, the blind men and the elephant. If you've heard the story before, then you would know how it relates to this image, to this, oh, sorry, to this story. A man brings this elephant towards these blind men, and he gets these blind men to touch the elephant from different angles and different sides. And one blind man's touching the tail of the elephant and he goes, well, this is very long and very thin. It must be a rope. Another blind man comes and touches the side of the elephant. And he touches the side that he feels the strength. It's wide. He goes, no, it's not a rope. This is a wall. Another blind man says, no, as he touches the, the legs of this elephant, he goes, no, this isn't wide. This isn't thin. This is actually very thick and strong. This must be the trunk of a tree. And another man is touching the tusk of the elephant, and he goes, no, but it's quite sharp, so it can't be a tusk of the tree. It must be something like a spear. These four men are all touching the same animal. But without seeing it, by only observing it, they're observing something completely different to the other person around them. Similar to the King Nebuchadnezzar. He has seen, he has seen or experienced a work of God, but never actually knew what it was. So they're declaring him God of gods, he didn't really acknowledge that he was the one true God. And how that relates to us today in the society that we deal with, or in our relationship with Christ, is that misinterpretations of God can lead us to a false type of worship. And this is where orthodoxy comes into play. Orthodoxy in the Christian term is used as a, as a way of explaining the head knowledge that we receive from studying scripture. We look at the scriptures and we take it all in in mind. And I'm going to be focusing on the one aspect. Imagine having all the head knowledge, but not the relationship in heart. That is where this misinterpretation of God can lead us into a false type of worship. Because it is very important that we understand that our relationship with God isn't about how much we know in mind, but how much we genuinely have a relationship with the God that we read of. 
to not only declare God as the God of gods or the one true God in which he is, but to truly believe it and understand it for what it really means. So let's have a look at the passage. Daniel chapter 3 verse 5, uh, sorry, from Daniel 2 verses 47 down to 3 verse 5, it states that when they heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, and languages, they were to bow down and fall down to a worship of the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Where did King Nebuchadnezzar get this idea of building a golden image of him? Well, the misinterpretation of what he dreamt of in chapter 2. In chapter 2, the image had only Nebuchadnezzar as the head of gold, with other parts made of different metals and irons. But King Nebuchadnezzar only heard that one point, I'm the head of gold. So what does he do? He goes and makes a full statue of gold. And it would have been a giant statue if that, because the whole nation would have been able to see it no matter where they were. A misrepresentation and misinterpretation of what was explained to him. And the thing about mankind is that we see that when we like something, an idea of something, we can make an image of worship towards that thing. We may know things of mind, but not have an emotional relationship with this, with this thing. That even when we look at what are the idols in our lives, we see Nebuchadnezzar made himself his idol. And he declared that the entire nation around him must fall down and worship this image of him, not of the God who revealed this dream to him. Have a look at with me, have a look with me, sorry, at verse, um, sorry, bear with me. Okay, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. Remember how I said that the whole nation of Israel was taken captive in Babylon? Look at verse 7 with me, where it says, Therefore, as soon as the people, as soon as the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. That means that the whole nation of Israel who was there in Babylon, the people who knew of the story of the Exodus and the escape from Egypt and how God had delivered them to the Promised Land through this whole journey, who have read the Psalms, who have read the, the scroll of Jeremiah. All these people, when they heard the sounds and the instruments, they all fell down. This is an example of how we as Christians, no matter how much we know in our mind, can easily be swayed to fall down and worship other people images or other idols. We are human and we are not freed from these things. It is so easy because we know if we look at our lives today that there are other things in our lives that are distracting. There are things that take uh, precedence over our worship to God on a daily basis. We are like the nation of Israel, taken captive into this alien world, a secular world, and continuously declared that we must follow and worship all these other things. 
But there is a good news to this. That even in the difficulties of our surroundings, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to stand up for our faith. To say, no, I'm not going to worship these other gods. But in fact, I want to be different from my surroundings. That I may live a life worthy and honourable to God. But I know it's difficult because we have all these opportunities. We have our workplaces, our sport groups, our friends, our families. And though many of us may be around a lot of Christian circles, maybe not all of these things help us grow in our relationship with God. Therefore, hindering our faith journey. Orthodoxy. Knowing something in mind, but not practically living it out. The second one will be idolatry. Another term not used commonly, but we read it throughout scripture. When you look at the biblical sense of idolatry, you would recognize that it's something that we don't tend, that the Lord actually tells us not to worship. Idolatry is when we consider something worthy to focus on. It's not always other gods. It's not always other things. It could be absolutely anything in our lives. A great pastor known as John MacArthur from Grace Community Church in America has this statement. He goes, God created man in his own image, but man creates gods in the image of mankind. The ultimate rebellion, man inventing their own gods. Have a look at Daniel chapter 3, verses 6 to 12 with me. We see that all the people have fallen down and worshipped the golden image. And then there's this other group of people pointing towards the three gentlemen, saying that they have not done what has been decreed. And therefore, if they haven't done what has been decreed, they are, uh, they are to receive the consequences of their rebellion. And when King Nebuchadnezzar hears this, he, sees, he gets upset and calls the three men to come and see him. How often in our world today do we experience that? Where we're told to do certain things that are against our biblical values. For example, as Christians today, especially here in Victoria with the new bill that has passed this year. If we are to go out and even counsel people with our Christian values we may be at the consequence of imprisonment. So what do we do? Do we stop preaching the Christian values? Do we stop church? Do we stop everything that we do? Do we start telling people that it's okay, you make your own decision, it's alright, you'll figure it out? Or do we stand firm and say, no, that if I must, I will share the truth of the gospel? If you have this lovely green book here, the Book of Forms, Turn to page um, turn to page 101, and it has a good small description here of what is idolatry. See, as John MacArthur states that idolatry is anything that man has made for his own worship, the ultimate rebellion, the Heidelberg Catechism says something similar. It goes, idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts its place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. Therefore, saying that it's not the one thing that takes complete worship, but something that we may even put aside our worship to God. I worship God and I worship this unintentionally. 
You know what I mean? I don't read, I don't read the Bible every day, but I, I pray often. I pray often, but I have to do all these other things in my day. And I mean, my life's very busy, very chaotic. I've got work, school, taking the kids to school, or students, I've got homework. I mean, year 12 sacks and essays and exams. At university, we have multiple essays. Things that can become distracting, though we still try to worship the one true God. Those alternates can still be idols. Sometimes it could even be our relationships. Friends, spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends. People that you speak to on a regular basis quite more than you do with your relationship with Christ. It could be your career. How focused are you on your jobs? Are trying to achieve and attain a certain position or a goal there that removes your entire focus on worshipping God. Idolatry is not saying that I'm going to substitute God for this. It can be, and that is a form of idolatry. Idolatry can also be found in having something equal to God as it takes precedence in your life. And we see that here because the whole nation, though they, I'm sure they were still worshipping Yahweh, their God, they also fell down to the, to the peer pressure of their surroundings and worshipped the golden image. And people were trying to push against them and force them not to do so. What I want you to do with me now is I want you to grab, whether it's your phone, your iPad, or a notebook. And as I went through the list of things that could be our idols, and as I gave the description of idolatry, I'm sure that there was one thing that came to your mind. For the Holy Spirit must have whispered it to you or reminded you. I want you to privately write down one thing that may have been your idol in the week that has passed? What is the one thing that has taken a lot of your attention and possibly even distracted your worship to God? Was it sleep? Was it your work? What Could it be a relationship? Could it be social media? What is the one thing that has taken your place of worship this week? I want you to keep that to yourself. And as you... Keep that to yourself. We're going to pray for that one thing at the end of the service. And pray that God may help empower each and every one of us to remove that form of idolship, that we may return our attention back onto Christ. The third point is doxology. Now, this is a very interesting word. Because doxology is actually a blend of both the orthodoxy and the idolatry. Remembering that orthodoxy was to have the head knowledge, to maybe understand something in the mind, but not live it out in its appropriate way. Idolatry is when you were to have something that can be either in replace of, or substitute of, or alongside our worship to God. Anything that takes our attention or distracts us. Doxology is actually an understanding of God and an appropriate life that reflects it. And this is the aim of each and every Christian. For this is the image that we get from Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. 
where all of Israel knew God of mind. They knew the scriptures. They had a form of orthodoxy because they still fell down and worshipped other things. We've known in the history of the Israelites, they've always dealt with idolatry. Wanting to see a physical, tangible thing to worship. Making images of gods that they may follow and worship this thing. We too are the same. But now we get to the meat of the message. Doxology. How can I have a life of doxology? Let's look at verses 13 on to 18. It says here that Nebuchadnezzar was furious and commanded that these three men come before him. And he challenges them. He goes, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? If you hear the musical instruments in which are presented, you must fall down and worship the image that I've made. But if you don't, I'm going to have to put you in the burning fiery furnace. See, Nebuchadnezzar had a, a relationship with these three men. Remember in chapter 2 where it was Daniel and these three friends who came and presented the interpretation of his dream. And from that time, King Nebuchadnezzar actually gave them um, leadership roles within the provinces of Babylon. So he had a good relationship with them and he's giving them a warning. Guys, you have to do what I say. Like, you are examples of this nation. Though you may be Hebrews, you must follow and worship this image that I've made. And in verse 16, we get this amazing response from these boys. They go, they answer to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. How bold are they to say that? To a king who's threatening them with death. I don't have to reply to you when it comes to this thing. Why is that? Why is it the fact that they're facing death at their hands, they feel the need, they do not have to reply? See, oppression comes to each and every Christian in one form or another. On the most extreme extent, we can see how many Christians are either persecuted unto death or imprisonment. That's still happening in our world today, maybe not often in the Western countries, but in all European and Asian and African countries, many pastors, missionaries and Christians are being either tortured, imprisoned, or killed. Open Doors had this seminar many years ago, and there was a testimony of this Chinese missionary who was part of this underground church in China, building its way up. And if you know, China has one of the fastest growing Christian churches. He said, and if I remember correctly, he said, I pray that persecution never leaves the church. For it is the persecution that is keeping the faithful Christians in the church. Why? Because all those Christians know when they gather on the Sunday, when they gather together with their brothers and sisters, those of faith, they know that they are risking their life. Yet they still wake up and go. We're challenged with, do we want to get out of bed today and watch the service online? Ah, oh, the world's persecuting us in such a great way, isn't it? We are experiencing persecution, maybe not to the fullest extent, but to a point where we can be either pushed back at school if you go to public schools. If you even mention the Bible, your faith as a Christian, people will turn against you. And it is disheartening to see that many of our youth are dealing with this type of persecution, where they are struggling now 
to really hold on to a faith with Christ or a relationship because of the feedback and the negativity they face when they try and share it. But this is where hope is found. This example from these three men is where hope is seen. They say that even in the face of death and persecution, we do not need to answer you. Why is it? Because they have a genuine relationship and fear of the Lord. It is not the fact that they were scared of death, for they may have been. It was the fact that they feared the Lord in a way of worship and reverence. They knew that the king could definitely kill them, but it is the Lord who is the judge of their eternal soul. And by having the previous knowledge of the scriptures, it helped them grow this genuine relationship with the Heavenly Father, whose name is Holy. They do not need to defend themselves, and they give an explanation why. Read with me from verses, nine, uh, from verses 17. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. This is a showing of complete trust in God. A complete relationship, knowing that whatever you are going to do to us, whatever this world is going to try and force us to become, we will not follow this way because we believe that the Lord is going to deliver us. And then they declare, sorry, focusing back on how he would deliver us out of your hand, we see here that they know that God's will is greater than anything that we can imagine. So when we're facing the trials of life, and when we're looking at the idols that we deal with every single day, we know that if we look upon the Lord on a regular basis, his will, our future, is unforeseen towards us. And we can trust in His will to be fulfilled no matter what we do. Because then they give another contradicting statement that is so encouraging. They go, e, But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. Not only did they declare that God will save us and deliver us, they said, even if He doesn't, we still will not worship the idols that you present to us. Even death could not persuade them to change. When Jesus quotes the greatest commandment in Mark 12:30, saying that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, mind, the thing that we see here is that he gives us a commandment, not a suggestion. Yet many of us still declare that I will love the Lord God with part of my mind, part of my soul, part of my heart, part of my strength, and give my other attention to other things. This is not what Jesus declared for us to do. He commands us to love with all of our being, physically and spiritually. And when we are to worship the Lord with our full and complete attention, where is the room for the distractions? And how can we see if one truly is loving the Lord with the whole being? When you see them loving others the same way as they love themselves in the second commandment. A life 
that doesn't just state we love God, but a life that reflects it and lives it in an obedient way, in an appropriate life of praise and worship. Like the nations of Israel and all the people of Babylon, we too have fallen down and worshipped many idols. I spent this week as I was praying to the Lord what to share to this church. Um, so I went away for a week and I really spent time in prayer, just really seeking the Lord. And the Lord reminded me of this passage because it's just that quick reminder that in COVID, all our idols are revealed. All the things that we worship are taken away from us. And we're forced to a position now when you are in complete lockdown with no other thing to do. What do you spend your time on during the day? We run to Netflix or Amazon Prime. We run to our social medias. Or we find peace in the quiet. We find peace in looking towards God, knowing that nothing in this world is faithful or consistent, but only He is. We too can easily be persuaded when we are in the normal world, whether it be at our workplaces, our environments, at school, or out with, with, around our peers. How do we behave amongst these people? Do our lives reflect a God-honoring worship? Do our lives reflect the relationship we have with Christ? I know I'm not perfect in this, but I definitely am seeking to be. And the thing that encourages me in this story is the fact that when we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we are given the, we are given the grace from God to empower us to be different. That as we experience the daily transformation from reading scripture daily and meditating upon his word and seeking him to empower us with what we have read and learned, Christ can continue to work in our lives and restore us to a proper life of worship. Because when we are quiet, when you do look at the world around you, do you not see that we do not belong here? That we are aliens to this world? And that we are of Christ and not from this secular, sinful place. That is how we know the Spirit is working. And though the culture and practices are very different to what the Bible teaches us, we are challenged with how we worship our God in that place. So how do we apply it? How do we become like these three men? Well, turn with me to Romans 12. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. And in fact, the whole chapter, if you want to spend today reading upon Romans 12, Romans 12 gives us the encouragement and the application to how we can live a life marked as a true Christian. In 1 and 2, as our focus, it says here, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto the Lord, for this is your proper spiritual worship. In verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Do not follow its ways, do not follow its practices, do not follow its culture. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In the New Living Translation, I love how it states in verse 2, rather than... Um, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It actually says, but allow God to transform the way that you think. 
Because we're all easily able to be distracted and worship other things. And then the remainder of verse 12, you get these practical points of values that mark a true Christian. And you see that it comes out that it's not only about the head knowledge, but how we live out with other people. In Daniel 3, you have three men facing death. Three men who knew a lot of, a lot of scripture. But amongst the whole nation who knew the same things, only three men stood up. In chapter, in verse 29, you hear King Nebuchadnezzar declare, No other God can save these men in this way. Because when these men were chucked into the fiery furnace, what happened? You see here, um, you see that they were actually delivered from the fiery furnace without a scratch on them. And that when the three men were put into the fire, you see that in verse 25, it appeared as if there was four. For they saw someone who was like a son of God. Brothers and sisters, as we deal with life today, and if there's anything we can take from this, it's that God is the only, th only being worthy of our worship. And when we're going through our dealings of every day, whether it be the struggle or even trying to overcome our worship of other idols, Jesus stands in the fire with us. He doesn't leave us. He never forsakes us. And we know that it's accurate that only God can rescue this way because we look upon what Christ has always done. We know that at the time of our death or at the second coming of Christ, it will be Jesus who will deliver us. We know that he will come and deliver the saints, the church, his bride from this sinful world and restore us to the heavenly realms where he has prepared a place for every one of us. And God's love is in knowing that God does not expect a man to die for God. But God's love is seen when God came down to earth and died for all of humanity. God's love is seen in his sacrifice for you and for me. And as Romans 12 states, our lives should be an example of a living sacrifice unto him in return. Not because it earns us anything, but how else can we worship God if we choose to deny ourselves and follow him? Christ proves that he will stand before us because he gave his life upon that cross on Calvary. He attained victory over sin and victory over death. And that is the promise and the hope that is given to each and every one of us. The promise and the hope I believe these three men had because even when they faced death, they said, no, 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 it's okay. God's got me. All those other idols we have in our lives, brothers and sisters, none of them are going to save us. None of them will give us the greatest satisfaction or hope that Christ can. So do you want to experience his mercies forever and ever? Well, come with me now and seek the Lord to make him the only thing in our life today worthy of our attention and worship. Come pray with me now. Mighty God and everlasting Father, Lord, we want to praise your name for your name is holy and you are good. And, O oh God, we are nothing in this world if, there was, if you had not created us. For who are we to call upon a God and question your almighty being 
when we are nothing but dust from this earth. O oh God, we have made many idols of our own image. We have rebelled against your commandment and worshipped many things. It is difficult in this day and age, O oh Lord, as it was in days of history. But with technology and the growing, um, growing opportunities all around the world, we can easily fall down and make ourselves our own God, choosing to follow our own will. But Father, we pray and we seek you because we have something that no one else has. We have Christ and your Holy Spirit with us. And we pray, O oh Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be abound. Where our sins may flurry, your love is greater. And that you will help us recognize that we don't want to just know you in mind and in knowledge, for we have learned many things. We don't want to come before you and just worship a misinterpreted God, making God an idol without understanding him completely. We want to have a life that is appropriate doxology, a knowledge and a lifestyle that reflects your character. Help us, O oh Lord, through the power of your grace and through your Holy Spirit to renew our minds, to transform us, O oh God, into one that shows a life worthy to worship you. If at anything we can say, O oh God, we thank you that you have granted us even the opportunity to call upon you. That as we pray at this very moment, it is your spirit who intercedes our prayers. It is your son who mediates before us at the throne. And it is you, a holy God, creator of all things, who is actually putting your ear close to our prayer, giving us your attention. Help us, O oh God, not to bow down and worship the idols of this world but to fall down on our knees and pray in reverence to the Holy God, the one true God, the only living God. Help us be more like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and not like the nations around. Help us be, be more like Christ, one who meditates on upon you daily. Help us be more like you, for we pray this in Jesus' name.